The Bible reading that's chosen for us this morning are some words that St. Paul wrote to young Timothy on the subject of prayer and worship. And we are reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and the first six verses. And Paul writes this. I urge then for requests, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving, made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men, that he given in the proper time. And we leave Paul's words there. I was tempted to begin this sermon by saying I find myself in the wrong Baptist church in Horsham. You see, my father was pastor of Trafalgar Road Baptist Church for many years. That's the church in which I was baptised. It's the church in which I got married. It's the church where my brother, Doug, and my sister-in-law, Joyce, spent many years. Actually, this church is a church I feel very closely connected with. My father-in-law, Norman, is still a member here, in which my wife, Rebecca, grew up. And as well as Raj and Cheryl, as my friends, there are many others here who I know either directly or indirectly. Some of us before the sermon were pl- service were playing the game. Now, I'm sure I know you from somewhere. Didn't you come and make pancakes in my house many years ago? The church has just celebrated Easter. It's a challenge for preachers to know what to preach on the next Sunday. I'm hoping that the PowerPoint will go up so you can see where I'm going, though you may have guessed already. The writers of the Gospels describe Jesus' death on Good Friday in dramatic terms. Passages which depict the crucifixion, they let the shocking event speak for itself. But what was going on? How does Jesus' death achieve our salvation? That question is explored in what theologians call theories of the atonement. Attempts at how one man's death could make it possible for all beings to be at one with God. If I can take you back to your English lessons at school. Theories of the atonement are probably best understood as metaphors, as picture language. Let me give an example of a metaphor and how it works. I could do the accents. The Scottish poet Robbie Burns wrote... Oh, my love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June. Oh, my love's like the melody that's sweetly played in tune. Now, Robbie Burns obviously isn't telling us that the woman he's in love with looks like a red, red rose. Nor is he suggesting that when when she speaks, instead of words coming out of her mouth, what comes out is music. But we get the picture when we listen to that poem, don't we? We know that Robbie is saying that when he looks at his love, he gets the same feeling of joy as when he looks at a red rose. And when he listens to her voice, he gets the same pleasure as when he's listening to a beautiful tune. 
Now, if you were to say to Robin, by the way, you do realise, don't you, that roses have thorns. Does your girl have thorns? No, she doesn't have thorns. Oh, so your metaphor doesn't work, does it? It doesn't fit. And can you write down what she says on the stave? Well, no, you can't. Well, your metaphor doesn't work, does it? He'd point out that you had no imagination and you were missing the point. You see, metaphors are mental pictures. What matters is not so much the details as the central point, the focus of the picture. And the central point which the writer of 1 Timothy is making is that the death of Jesus is like one person giving himself as a ransom others. And that's a picture of Jesus' death on the cross which dominated Christian understanding for the first a thousand years after. And from which we can still learn today. But what exactly does it mean? You see, the crucifixion of Jesus is a puzzling event. I think in part we're puzzled because we don't understand the context that surrounded it. But it was puzzling even for the first disciples who did. It may be we've only crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus and the two criminals who were put to death at the same time. But one of the shocking truths about the brutality of the ancient world is that crucifixion, though horrible, was not unusual. It was a practice used by the Greeks in Asia, by the Carthaginians in North Africa, and by the Romans in total for about a thousand years. You may have seen the Kirk Douglas film, Spartacus. When Spartacus led a failed slave rebellion, some 6,000 of his followers were crucified in one brutal act of repression. Put up, crosses put up all the way down the Appian Way towards Rome to remind the of Roman slaves just what would happen if you dared to try and escape from slavery. Although crucifixion was a horrific punishment, it was one used to demonstrate especial contempt for the person being executed, to have the maximum deterrent effect on anybody watching. So if crucifixion wasn't unusual, why was Jesus' death special? And the most important part of the answer to that question is Jesus' death was special because of who Jesus was. This wasn't just another slave. This was the death of the Son of God. But how does that work? How does one man, even the Son of God, achieve our salvation? Well, it's a bit like paying a ransom. But what's it like to pay a ransom? Living in well-organised, well-ordered Britain with its nice police force, its reasonably effective justice system, we don't really find ourselves having to pay ransoms very often in our lives, do we? And as we saw in our little drama earlier, paying a ransom is an ugly thing because violence is at the heart of what it means to pay a ransom. And yet, the experience of having to pay a ransom is far from unknown in our world today. In October 2009, the nice middle-aged couple from Kent, Paul and Rachel Chandler, set sail from the Seychelles on the latest trip, uh, latest leg of their trip 
their boat trip on a yacht round the world. They were headed for Tanzania, and some 90 miles offshore, their small yacht was boarded by armed Somali pirates, who held them hostage on land for more years. The kidnappers started off by demanding a ransom of 7 million US dollars. But unlike those people who get captured on the oil tankers that go through that part of the Indian Ocean, the Chandlers had no insurance policy. The British government stood by its policy and said, we simply don't negotiate with kidnappers. We're not helping you. The Chandlers were trapped, alone, helpless, hungry, desperate. The worst point in the whole scenario for them came when their Somali captors decided that they should be separated. And the two were held in solitary confinement. That was the point at which Paul Chandler couldn't take any more. The thought of being separated from his wife, leaving her, not knowing what was going to happen to her, was so much he tried to fight back. That was the moment when the guys with the guns beat him. So you're the Chandlers. You're in the desert. Barely enough food to eat. Guided by young men who don't speak your language, who don't read, who have AK-47 assault writers, who are all high on cat, the local drug. You're bored. You're constantly afraid of death. You're constantly being threatened with violence. What's that like? Well, if you want to find out, you can read the book they've written called Hostage, A Year at Gunpoint with Somali Gangsters. But right at the heart of that experience, feeling helplessness, realising there is nothing you can do to get out. So what happened? Well, their extended family started negotiations with the kidnappers. As I said, the kidnappers' initial demand was $7 million, and being um, poor, illiterate Somalians who spent their time looking at television from the West, they assumed that everybody in the West was fabulously wealthy. How easy it would be to raise $7 million. Eventually, the gangsters realised that seven million wasn't going to be forthcoming. Negotiators talked them down and down and they got it down to just under half a million dollars. Family raised the money. They flew in an aeroplane and they dropped the cash in June 2010. But by then, the kidnappers decided they could get a bit more. So Paul and Rachel Chandler were not freed I wonder, did the money was coming? Were they told it had come? How did they feel at that point? So the kidnappers sat there, holding. The story went through the news again. And a Somali taxi driver living in East London was so ashamed by his countryman's crime that he spoke to the Somali community living in exile in Britain. And between them, 
they raised another $300,000. And he then went to Syria, met the kidnappers, and arranged for the Chandlers to be released. Now what happened when they experienced freedom again? Was the horror of their imprisonment outweighed by the joy of the release? What emotions did they go through? You see, that's what it's like to be ransomed, to be trapped, to be helpless, to be under threat of violence, to be subject to powers beyond your control. And then for somebody to come in and rescue you. For the Chandlers, actually their rescue was effected by somebody they wouldn't have expected. A man who didn't know them. A taxi driver from a foreign culture. And it's like that. What happened to the human race? It's like that, that Jesus comes out nowhere to rescue us. To pay the ransom which needs to be paid to release us from the grip of sin. So now I've painted the word picture. I hope you can see how to fill in the details, the sorts of things we're supposed to think about when we think about Jesus' death as a ransom. What does it tell us about our condition? The first thing it invites us to recognise is that we are captives, that we are hostages, paths of evil and sin and selfishness and death. Now that doesn't mean that somehow the devil has rights over us. The picture emphasises not that devil has, evil has rights over us, simply that evil has power over us. Hostage shakers had no rights over Paul and Rachel. What they had was power. Violent, death-dealing power. All of us are trapped by the forces of evil and sin and selfishness and death. By forces beyond our control, beyond our understanding and often invisible to us. Now that's the top bit, I think, of the Easter message. You see, we can think of ourselves as fundamentally good people and God as basically nice. And we like to think that we know what evil people look like. Whether or not we need the Daily Mail to tell us. But they're quite clear, it's quite clear what evil people are like. Evil people look like Mick Philpot, the sort of person whose selfishness is such he's prepared to endanger the lives of his own children to get what he wants. And the message of the cross is that the message, the difference between you and me and Mick Philpot is not, as George Osborne had it, a difference in kind. It is only a difference in degree. We are all hostages of evil, trapped by our own desires, by unhappy social structures and unable to free ourselves by our own efforts. And that we find really difficult to stomach. Paul and Ray Chandler knew they were captives. It was visible. It was tangible. It was palpable. It was suffocating. It was a constant reality they could not ignore. But many of the prisons that we inhabit have gold bars. You can't be rescued unless you admit you're trapped. You can't be rescued unless you're prepared out for help. And the challenge of the cross is to look long and hard at our lives and to see where we're held hostage by self-centeredness, by forces which taint our lives and are beyond our control. 
The second thing that the picture of Jesus' death as payment of a ransom reminds us is to realise that we are not immortal. Recently, one of over 200 people who attended the funeral of a work colleague who died at age 67. Another one of my colleagues at work moonlights as a part-time vicar. He got into a conversation with somebody he'd just met at the funeral. Then almost his first line to him was, well, I guess this reminds us our own lives are not ours to control and none of us know how long we've got. That was an extremely bold thing to say to somebody you'd met too earlier. But it was a reminder, as that few was, that we are hostages to powers that lead to our deaths. Death is the ultimate reality, the final statistic. One out of every one person dies. The third thing that the picture of Jesus' death as a ransom reminds us is the sheer gratuity of Jesus' intervention. The Somali taxi driver who raised the money to release the Chandlers didn't have to do it. He was under no obligation to intervene. Sometimes I think we think of God as sat on a cloud somewhere in supreme indifference to the plight of humanity. And Tate would have said, he's above it. But the God of the Bible, the living God, is not like that at all. This God, our God, is our loving heavenly Father, who sent his one and only Son on a rescue mission which cost him his life and which broke open the gates of hell. Released the stranglehold of the powers of evil, sin, selfishness and death. The fourth thing that the picture of Jesus' death as a ransom reminds us is that the rescue mission was for all people. We saw that in a passage that Ian read. Just before the verse which talks about Jesus as a ransom, we're told that God, our Saviour, wants all people to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. Not just people, people, the nice people. Not just the ones who are okay. But the nasty people, the horrible people, the messed up people, the confused people, the desperate people. The Somali hostage takers, not just the Chandlers. And the fifth and final thing that the picture of Jesus' death as ransom teaches us is about the cost of rescue. Rescuing the curly toys cost Zach all the monopoly money he had. Rescuing the Chandlers cost hundreds of thousands of pounds. But as that passage from 1 Peter, with where we began our call to worship, told us, rescuing you and me, rescuing the human race, cost Jesus his life. The cost of overcoming the power of evil, sin, selfishness and death was the death of the Son of God. That's the heart of the picture. It's the supreme cost which Jesus bore, which is the focus of an understanding of the cross as the payment of a ransom. The message of the cross is that God loved us so much that God was prepared to pay the price of death in order to rescue us, the hostages of the powers of evil, sin, selfishness and death. And the message of Sunday is that the rescue mission was a success. If you look hard enough in the news, you can find stories of ransoms and hostage taking in many, many places. 
And you can find very sad stories like ones that have happened recently in Algeria, where they go in to try and get the hostages out and lots of, lots of the hostages end up dead. Jesus' rescue mission botched. It was a success. The power of death has been broken. And one day, we will experience the fullness of freedom from those powers which have kept us captive and from whose grip we have not yet entirely escaped. Payment of a ransom freed the charmed year of captivity. How much more has the ransom which Jesus paid freed us from the powers of evil, sin, selfishness and death? The Chandlers got their old lives back. Jesus gives us new life. So the question for us this morning, before we move too far away from Easter Sunday, is are you prepared to accept that you are trapped by those powers? Are you prepared to face up to the fact that you're not immortal? Are you ready to accept that Jesus died to rescue you? Dare to believe that however good or bad you feel yourself to be, Jesus' rescue mission offers you the promise of freedom. Will you stand and gaze with me in wonder at just how a price God was prepared to pay to rescue you? If you are, I invite you to pray with me. And if you need to tell someone that you've done so, I would urge you to go to the side of the church after the service is finished and find someone to talk to. So let's pray. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, we stand in awe at the grace of your love, the depths of your compassion, and sheer audacity of the rescue mission by which your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, came to our planet and bought our freedom as hostages at the cost of his own life. We ask that you would give us a truer understanding of the extent to which we are held captive by powers of evil, sickness and death. That you would give us a deep sense of the extraordinary cost which Jesus paid to ransom us and a greater commitment to walk in faithful service to one who didn't just come to save us as individuals, but whose rescue mission extends to the whole world. Amen.